Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. He is worthy. He is worthy of our worship, our attention, our highest praise. And today we want to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus. In fact, um, that's what this summer series is all about, journeying with Jesus, just getting our eyes on Christ. You know, there's something so interesting about going into a friend or acquaintance's home, uh, meeting their family, meeting uh, their parents and their siblings, and uh, getting to know their story. You know, when you do that, you really uh, begin to get some insight into people, don't you? Hello? You get to meet their parents, for instance. (laughs) And you go, that explains it. Or you go into their home and you see how they were raised and you go, you know, I, I understand you a little bit better. Today in our journey with Jesus, we're going home with Jesus. We're going to his hometown. As he goes back, the place where he grew up, we're going to learn a little bit more about his family of origin. And in doing so, I hope to, that we get to know Jesus a little bit more and his life and his ministry and how people should respond to him and how people did respond to him as we go to the place where he grew up. So we're in this summer series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're in chapter 6 today. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn there. We're down one screen, and who knows, this one could blow on us at any minute. So we're in Mark chapter 6. We began our journey with Jesus this summer there at the Jordan River at his baptism, and subsequently there into the wilderness where Jesus' public ministry was launched, where he overcame the temptations of Satan. He was led by the Spirit. And today, last week, Capernaum, we went to where he was living as an adult during the days of his public ministry there near the Sea of Galilee. Today we're in the town of Nazareth. So let's begin in Mark chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man learn these things, and what is this wisdom that he has been given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? The story begins with astonishment as Nazareth's famous son comes home to visit. You know, one day I was flipping through the channels and I don't know much about what's on TV other than Andy Griffith and, you know, when that's on a couple of times a night and things like that. But I was flipping through that and I saw this this show, James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. Anybody seen that? I wasn't very familiar with it. Apparently it's kind of a feature on the Late Late Show or was at times, and in this episode, what caught my attention, I didn't even know who James Corden was, but he's cruising around with Paul McCartney. Y'all know who Paul McCartney is, right? The, the Beatle. And so he's cruising around, and I thought, this will be interesting. And so they're there in England. I found out later, you know, he's not actually doing all this while he's driving. They are in his car, but they're towing his car. That's how it works, so he doesn't, you know, wreck and hurt anybody. But him and Paul McCartney are cruising around England, and they're talking about Paul McCartney's upbringing, and they go to Liverpool where he was raised, and they go to the house, the little, or maybe they call it a flat or something like that, you know, this little place where he was raised, and they go, and they just show up, and they knock on the door, and this 
you know, lady opens up the door and here's Paul McCartney and this other dude. And it's like, oh, can we come in? Come on in. And they go into his house. He said, this was my room. And I remember writing my first song here at 16 and all of these things. It was interesting to learn about his upbringing. And then they go to a little local tavern there in the neighborhood and they just show up and they're filming all of this and people see, this is Paul McCartney. And he goes and he gets up on stage and he just puts on a little free concert that was unannounced. It was really actually fun to watch people's faces. You know, and people are texting people, you got to get over here. Paul McCartney is singing here in this place. So it was really pretty entertaining. Paul McCartney got this huge welcome as he goes home. And he sings there in a place where he probably had frequented and played before. I don't remember. Jesus now journeys back to his hometown. He had gained a level of fame and popularity. You know, people, he was all the buzz around Israel. This Jesus of Nazareth. Now the text doesn't say that he's in Nazareth. It says his hometown We know from Matthew chapter 2, that's where he was raised for most of his life. That's where their family made their home after some early moves trying to escape being killed. They called him Jesus of Nazareth. So we know that Nazareth is where he's from. And that's where he goes back to. Let me say just a word about Nazareth. It's in the northern district there in Israel, in Galilee. Today it's the largest town up in the northern part of Israel. So I was looking up to see what is noteworthy about Nazareth. And the short answer is nothing. Nothing. In fact, the Jews of that day would say nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's just a sleepy little place. Nothing happen, happening. Not very impressive. Estimate uh, that uh, Scholars estimate that the population at the time of Jesus was probably about 400 people. So just a little village there in northern Israel in a district in a region where really nothing was happening. And very little interesting even today. Today in Nazareth, the population is about 75,000. Here is something interesting. About 70% of the population in Nazareth today is actually Muslim. But there's really nothing newsworthy about Nazareth except Jesus. And Jesus shows up back in his hometown, not with James Corden, but with his disciples. It says his disciples traveled with him. So for sure, there was the 12. Maybe the larger band. There was an inner circle of three, right? And there were the main 12 that he eventually designates as apostles. But when it just says disciples, it could be hundreds. And Jesus is cruising around with these people. And I think we shouldn't overlook that. The fact that Jesus' teaching and ministry model wasn't just about doing stuff. It wasn't just doing great miracles, feeding people, or going and and giving TED Talks or anything like that. Jesus didn't travel alone. As a teacher, he had a group of disciples and people that he was training. He would go to different places and he would call people, you follow me, you follow me. He's training and calling disciples. You know what, we're supposed to be doing that today. In ministry, we're supposed to be leading and training up people to carry on and carry forward the ministry behind us. Jesus, when he ascends, will turn it over to these people that he's trained. And so he's training and teaching. He lets them be a part of his life, even takes them into his childhood home. And so here they are, Jesus and his big entourage. They go back to Nazareth, and he does what he often does. We saw this just a week or two ago. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he begins to teach. And listen to this. People are astonished. These are people that knew Jesus. 
They knew him growing up. Probably cousins, aunts, uncles, some of maybe even his teachers. And they're astonished. What in the world is this? What is this wisdom that he's been given, given that he has received? And even the miracles. So either it was the reputation of the miracles that he's been doing out and about, or maybe there as he's teaching, he does a miracle or two there in the synagogue. We don't know, but the people are very aware of his miracles. And either way, whether he's doing miracles right there in the synagogue, which he was prone to do, or it was just the reputation, his wisdom, and all of this wrapped up in the package of this guy that they knew and had grown up with, the folks just didn't know what to make of him. I don't, I don't know what to say about this. This Jesus, his wisdom, and his miracles. Let's move on to verse 3 as we see familiarity with the family of Jesus there in Nazareth. And here's what they say. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are his sisters not here with us? And they took offense at him. So they begin by astonishment and then it eventually moves to being offended or a stumbling block. They just don't know what to do with it. I think the issue is twofold. It's a juxtaposition. It's a contrast between two things. His amazing great wisdom and power up against their familiarity with his family and with his upbringing. In other words, he was just an ordinary dude as far as most of them knew. Their family, just an ordinary Blue-collar family with all their kids running around and their family, and, and, and they're familiar with Jesus. They know his sisters and his brothers and his parents. And I wonder if sometimes that's not a stumbling block for people in the church too. Have heard all about Jesus growing up as children, went to vacation Bible schools and all of that, but never made a decision for Christ. And I wonder sometimes if our familiarity, even with some of you sitting here today, and even for me preparing these things, I think I've, these are stories and things that I've read a hundred times and I've heard it, and, and it kind of loses its punch. But here you are, this great power and wisdom over against the ordinariness and their familiarity with Jesus. And they begin to recount some biographical details that actually are fairly interesting, and we'll take a minute just to think about them, about his family. They, first, they say, Isn't this the carpenter? You don't expect maybe this great wisdom and eloquence and, and, and powerful teaching with authority and miracles coming out of a carpenter, at least they didn't. Isn't this just the carpenter, the son of Mary? Like his earthly adoptive fa father, if you will, Joseph, Jesus had been a carpenter. He was a builder, a craftsman. People struggle, what kind of carpentry did Jesus do? Some say he made plows, some say he made yokes, some say he built houses, was, was actually like a contractor, would, would take on any kind of work. Sometimes carpenters can be stonemasons and people who work with metal, but he was a craftsman, he was a builder. He did things with his hands, and now he's teaching with authority and with wisdom. This Jesus did what his father, Joseph, had done. And while Jesus' conception and his birth, we know quite a bit about that, certainly miraculous and extraordinary, the fact was he was raised up in a pretty ordinary way, just like all of the kids there in the neighborhood. He would have apprenticed under his father in the trade that his father knew. But let me say this, I think it's telling. Even though Jesus, the only person ever conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a woman, 
He's unique in his identity. He is both God and man. So he didn't have an earthly father in the way that we would think, one who was part of his conception. But God did see fit to put him in a home where he would have a father to mentor him and to bring him up, an adoptive father, if you will. And I think that's important. We live in a day and age that just really, we don't really think family is very important, or if it is, it's just this, or it's that, two mommies, or whatever. And, and God has this plan and puts Jesus in a home where there would be a man to mentor him. You know, not everybody has that opportunity, and the church needs to rise up and be like Joseph's, to the fatherless, to those who don't have that. Young people need godly male influences, godly female influences. It's part of God's plan, and especially when the family can't provide it. The church needs to be a part of that. Christians need to be a part of that. What kind of man did God choose to be a father to Jesus, an adoptive father? You know, it's interesting. Joseph is actually not mentioned here, right? A bunch of the other family... There's a vacant chair at this point, if you will, and he's not mentioned. And so I think actually it's interesting to think about what do we know about Joseph, this one who would be Jesus' earthly father. We already know that he was a carpenter, right? And so he taught, let's think for a minute about, about fathers and what they should be, what we should aspire to be, what kind of father God provided for his son in the incarnation. Joseph was a father who was a carpenter and taught his son, taught Jesus Jesus skills, useful things, how to use his hand, how to make a living, taught him useful things. But the Bible also says that Joseph was a righteous man. Woe to us if all we think about is our children's careers and teaching them about how to be successful in this world. Joseph was not just a, a successful carpenter, he was a righteous, God-fearing man. He listened to God. We know that from the story of the account of the conception of Jesus, that Joseph was a God-fearing, righteous man. He feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we know that Jesus was that same kind of man. He feared the Lord. He was righteous. He was Godward. My wife told me something depressing this morning. She said, I, I read that Father's Day is the least attended church day of the year. I don't even know what to do with that, quite honestly. I was like, well, there won't be many here, so I can go as long as I want, right? I'm only going to offend a few. I don't even know what to do with that. Like, where are we on uh, Father's Day? Are we at the lake or whatever? I'm not really sure. I want to commend, hey, maybe it's this. Maybe fathers are scared to death. What in the world is the preacher going to say about us and bash us? I heard once that, you know, at, at Mother's Day, the preacher's always nice and sweet and builds up the mothers and then stomps down on the fathers on Father's Day. We're not going to do that today. We're glad that you're here. I want to commend you, fathers, for being in the Lord's house. And if you're here with your kids and your family, good for you. If you're here alone, good for you. Joseph was a righteous, God-fearing man. He listened to God's instructions, and he obeyed them. And that we see all through the life of Jesus. Jesus was attuned to the Father. Father, what is your will? He would go to the mountaintops. He would get away from the hustle and bustle, and he would listen for the will of the Father, and he would do it. Joseph 
was that kind of man. Here's what else Joseph was. He was a compassionate protector. You know, when Mary is found to be with child and he doesn't really know about the uh, divine conception, he says uh, he's going to put her away quietly. He could have had her stoned because it appeared that she had committed adultery. But it says instead, Joseph chose to put her away quietly. He was compassionate. Then when he finds out, he hears a word from the Lord through the angels that this child, Jesus, has been divinely conceived. He's special. He is the Messiah. Joseph, of course, stays. And then when danger comes, what does he do? He flees, as the Lord has told him to. He protects his family. Men are to be protectors like Joseph was. I think about Jesus when he was on the cross. And he looks down and he speaks to the apostle John. He says, son, here is your mother and points to Mary. Mother, here is your son. In other words, take care of my mama. He was a protector. Jesus was just like Joseph was. And that is a great masculine impulse. Guys, we are to be protectors, compassionate protectors of our family. And I think lastly that Joseph was a courageous man. You know why he was courageous or how I know he was courageous? Because to take Mary as his wife would have brought great shame actually. Because there were people whispering about she's pregnant outside of wedlock. And you know what he said? I don't really care. I'm going to do what the Lord has given me to do. And he stepped out in courage. And I suspect he lived all of his life hearing whispers as he walked by about being married to a woman who was unfaithful for those who didn't understand who Jesus was. And so he was courageous. He stepped out and didn't worry about what other people said about him. And I'm going to tell you something. I was talking to some Christian folks uh, Friday, and they were talking about the state of our world and all that's going on, economic issues and all kinds of things. And they said, what, what do you think? What, what are Christians to be doing today? Do we hunker down? Do we build bunkers? Well, what do we do? I said, here's what I think we've got to do. We've got to live our life with courage and faith, courageous faith. We've got to just step out. We've got to live. We've got to lead. Men, that's what we've got to do. We've got to lead with courage. It will not be easy, but that's just part, part of being a man. And Joseph was that man. Jesus was that man. I think about Jesus and the courage it took to actually come and preach in front of all of his family and there in his hometown. Think about so many things that Jesus did in his life and ministry that took great courage. To stand before Roman executioners and basically could have gotten off without going to the cross. And he stood silent before his accusers. He didn't call down heaven's angels to rescue him, but instead he went all the way to the end. And I think about the courage of Jesus and maybe where he learned that. Could it be? from the man whose chair is now vacant. You see, it doesn't say anything about Joseph in this text, does it? It says, Jesus is a carpenter. He's the son of Mary. Very likely, at this point, Joseph has died. He's probably gone, but I would say his influence, faintly, we can see in the life of Jesus. And so, we meet Jesus' family. He was the son of Mary. We know about Joseph. And then it said he has siblings, right? 
How would y'all like to have Jesus for your older brother? What do you do with that? <laughs> you know, when you're getting beat up in the playground, it'd be cool to have Jesus as your older brother, right? Somebody's picking on you or messing with you. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> Call down fire. Well, you know, whatever. But I think about it. It says here that he has four brothers, James, Joseph, or Joseph, Judas, or Jude, and Simon. And then it says also his sisters. We don't know how many sisters. So a very large family. He's got these siblings who would be most likely half-siblings, right? Mary's children with Joseph. But you talk about potential for sibling rivalry. It'd be cool to have Jesus for an older brother sometimes. But what about when the comparisons come? Why can't you be more, I know, more like Jesus? I know. I know I'm supposed to be more like that. Sibling rivalry, growing up in the shadow of Judas, uh, Jesus. I'm sure it was a difficult thing. And in fact, we're going to move now to the third point, verses 4 through 6. The amazement and inability of Jesus in this place. And we're going to see how even his own family responded to his ministry. Verses 4 through 6. So they've taken offense at him in verse 3. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could not do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And he was going around to the villages teaching. In spite of the fact that Jesus... Mother knew his identity. His siblings grew up seeing his perfect life exemplified. These people that he had grown up around would have certainly noticed something different. And now they marvel at his miracles and his wisdom. And how do they respond? With unbelief. And this passage says something that I think is amazing. In spite of the miracles, the message of Jesus, his wisdom, his graciousness, his love, his care, his compassion, his courage, the people of Nazareth as a whole did not believe that Jesus was the Savior that God had promised to send and now had sent. He attested to his identity with many miracles and all of those things, and they did not believe. And Jesus says, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown, and in his own home, even among his relatives. They dishonored Jesus. I was thinking about that as we were singing that last song. Is he worthy? Is anyone else worthy of all blessing and honor and glory except for Jesus? And yet in his own home, he was dishonored. In his own hometown, among his own family, he was dishonored. And it says something that confounds us a little, little bit. Jesus was not able to do hardly any miracles in his own hometown. That, that kind of messes with my theology a little bit. If I think about Jesus being God incarnate, God is omnipotent. He has all power. He can do anything he wants to do, so we believe. And Jesus is fully God. We saw that Jesus 
through the Gospels, has done all kinds of miracles with a hand, with a touch, from a distance, up close. He has healed people. He has driven out demons and unclean spirits. Even the disciples, they're in the boat with Jesus just before this, and a big storm is brewing, and Jesus is there asleep in the boat. And they say, what is your problem? Aren't you afraid that we're going to die? And he speaks to the winds and the waves, and at his word, the storms are stilled. And they say, who is this that even commands the seas and the weather? That Jesus, this passage says, because of the unbelief of the people, could not do the miracles he had done. Oh, he did a few, it says. But because of their unbelief, we don't expect to read that Jesus is not able to do something. And so we've got to do something with that. And so I'm pondering that. I'm thinking, you know what? How do we make sense of that theologically? And I think here's a help that I read from Don Carson. I thought this was a good insight. Here's what he says about this passage that says Jesus was not able to do miracles there in his hometown. This shows, Carson writes, that signs in themselves will never produce faith. For faith is a personal commitment and a choice. Perhaps that's why Jesus gave signs so sparingly and only in answer to faith. He was not trying to convince the unbelieving, for that would be impossible. That does not mean that God's power is absolutely limited, but that God has chosen to act only in response to faith. Think about that for just a minute. God has chosen to act in response to faith. And where Jesus looks out and sees unbelief, this is not going to waste my time here, it wouldn't make a difference for you people. No matter what you saw, you would not believe. So there's unbelief there. I told you last week that God's heart is moved by faith. When he sees faith, he acts. He moves. These are not people who are ignorant of Jesus. These are people who are unbelieving of Jesus. They've written him off as a crazy man. As a flash in the pan. And they don't believe. Today, let me say something to you. I want to invite you today to not be like that. To not be so familiar with Jesus that you just, yeah, 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 I've heard it all before. Yeah, I know that's good for you, not good for me. I want to invite you to cast down unbelief in your life and trust Jesus. Put your confidence and your faith in Jesus Christ. There may be some here saying, I'm wait, waiting for a sign. I'm waiting for a miracle. I read just yesterday a lady was talking about, she was questioning whether she was in the place that God would have her to be, doing the things that God would have her to do. And she had a real expensive set of pearls, and she had lost them. She had lost them. And she was going through this despair in her life, and she prayed this. She said, Lord, if I'm in the right place, would you bring my pearls back to me? A day later, she gets a call from her sister, said, are you missing your expensive set of pearls? I sure am. She said, well, we found them. They were buried there in your garden. We thought they were just like a plaything or a toy, but I, I kept looking at them, and I thought they were your pearls. And so here are your pearls back. The lady had basically asked God for something almost miraculous, and he intervened. Now, maybe God would do that. 
if our heart is right. But what I would say in general is Jesus has already proven himself. Are you fleecing God? Are you waiting for a miracle? Are you asking God to rain down heaven to move sun, moon, and stars for you before you will believe? That's a fool's errand. You very well could be the problem, not him. Are you inclined to trust your creator and trust the Savior whom he has sent, who has already proven himself? Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to place your faith today in Jesus. And then you will see him move mightily in your life. Don't do it the other way around. And in the Gospel of Mark, it's usually the people who are amazed by Jesus. And it says here that in his own hometown, Jesus was amazed at the people. He was amazed at the unbelief of those who should have believed in him. He was amazed that the people were so hard-hearted that they did not have eyes to see. And they kept him at an arm's distance and they rode him off. What a sad thing to think about that. You know, I, I was just thinking about as I was writing my notes down, what's, what, what are some things we could apply with this? I think here's something we could apply Probably many of us as Christians have people in our own family who reject Jesus. Maybe they were raised up in the church, in the Christian faith, they've heard it all, but they have gone totally the other way. And it's sad, and it's heartbreaking. Hey, it doesn't mean anything is wrong with Jesus. You keep strong in your faith. Jesus' own family and household and neighbors rejected him. We face unbelieving family members, those who we love, and it's heartbreaking. And sometimes we just stand in amazed and, and we say, we were all raised the same way, heard the same things. I, I don't understand why you have rejected Jesus. Well, his own family did. His own family did. So here's what I would say to you if you're in that situation today, and that is the situation in my family, Keep praying, keep hoping, keep sharing, keep believing. Don't be dragged down by the unbelief of others. You keep looking to Jesus and hoping and praying for them. You know, Jesus' own brothers, the Gospels record, he's cruising around and he's doing his ministry. And here's basically what his brothers and even his mother one time said. said, he's lost his mind. He has lost his mind. They're like, why doesn't he just come back to the carpentry shop and get to work? I don't know what this is all about. Well, I'll tell you what it was all about. His father had business for him. Building something different than a plow or a yoke. Jesus was about his father's business, building the kingdom and building his church. That's what he was to be about. But his own brothers and family wrote him off for a time as a madman. But here's the great news. We know that after the resurrection... Some of those same brothers came to believe in the Lord Jesus. And we have two books in the New Testament penned most likely by his brothers. We've got the book of James. James was a denier. He did not believe in Jesus at first. But he came to believe. And he became a pillar of the early church in the movement that his brother Jesus had started. And we've got the book of Jude. Jude or Judas, most likely, again, Jesus' brothers. 
brother. And he doesn't even identify himself in that letter as the brother of Jesus. He says, I'm the brother of James. I'm a servant. I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus. I've never had one of my brothers say that about me. I've tried to make them that for me. Jude came to believe. James came to believe. Jesus just kept doing his ministry. And in God's time, God did a work in the life. We don't know. Maybe the others. Maybe they all came to believe in the Lord Jesus. But early on, they did not. So I just want to say that to encourage you today to keep on praying for your family, encouraging them in the faith. If you've got loved ones who are far from Christ, join us in our Who's Your One campaign. The little ping pong balls out in the foyer to pray regularly for unsaved family members, loved ones, friends, and family. Keep praying and believing. Only Jesus has the words of life. Jesus is the way to salvation. Have you trusted him? Would you trust him today? Would you bow with me? Father, today we are in awe of this story, of this reality of your eternal son breaking through into this world, coming to this earth to lead us into eternal life. And as we look back into the days of his childhood and his ministry, Lord, I pray that we would see him overcoming challenges, that we might be inspired by his life, that we might be inspired to live as courageous, righteous, God-fearing, loving, compassionate people. Lord, help us in looking at these things to continue in the way and to continue in the faith that Jesus began as the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, today, I pray for those who maybe are on the fence. Maybe there's some sitting here and they've heard it all, but they're just not sure. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, that you would draw them to yourself, that they might exercise faith in Jesus and come to new life and come to be saved today. God, help us as we go. Help us to be the fathers that we should be, the parents, to be the sons and daughters that we should be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I skipped by something. James, were you going to share a few words this morning? Do you want to do that today? All right. James is going to come, and he wants to share a little bit. I figured John has asked him, coerced him to share a little bit. James, volunteer. You want to come up here, James? All right, come on up and share about student leadership. So for about the past two years now, we've been working towards going to the, this very prestigious camp, SLU. Student Leadership University has been a goal of ours. We've read multiple books, and uh, we just had a, a wonderful time there. We learned so many things. We wanted uh, to tell you about this. Uh, we learned some components of leadership. Uh, learned how to lead effectively and speak effectively in front of large groups of people like this. <laughs> and uh, it was just a wonderful experience for all of us. Uh, John Rasick, uh, both of them came. Uh, Hallie Sands and Abby Nell who were both there as well. And uh, Nicole came as a chaperone.
we hope to go back next year to SLU 201, uh, but that is a goal of ours, and you're getting to raise in money. Thanks, James. Man, one of these days, I want to have a voice like James. That's so awesome. <laughs> I'm sure, John, there's probably room in student leadership starting in the fall, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so all you students, I uh, encourage you to think about being a part of student leadership. So today is Father's Day, isn't it? Okay, it's Father's Day, and we want to recognize our fathers. Let me say uh, something here. Actually, it was in my notes, and I, I skipped it, but I think this is a great place. Just thinking about the story that we looked at today, about Jesus going home and his family all being there except his father. It's a great reminder that our fathers will not always be with us. Fathers, it's a great reminder. You will not always be here. And spend your time well. Love one another. Say the things you want to say. Fathers, don't stop fathering just because you have adult children. Keep doing the right thing. Serving the Lord as a father. So it's a great thing for us today to celebrate fathers. So, man, this is supposed to be a celebration. I'm sorry. So here's what we want to do. We want to get the oldest father up here. I'm sure that's Ron Delk. No, we're not going to do that. I, I'm sorry, Ron. I'm always picking on Ron. He's so easy to pick on. I love Ron Delk. We want to recognize all the fathers. And uh, instead of us coming to you, let's just do this. If you're a dad, you're here today, come up to the front. We're going to give you your special treat, and we're going to have prayer for you. So dads, come on up to the front. Man, what a crew. Isn't this a good-looking crew? Yeah. These guys are going to make their way through with, a, with the uh, cookie basket. It's got a real manly color of icing once again this year, right? So I, I can't understand how Father's Day would be the lowest attendance day of church all year, except for not every church gives away neighbor's milk cookies to the fathers. That's got to be an attendance Boone. So we've got cookies for these guys, and we wanted to do ribeye steaks. Thank you. But it uh, just didn't work out this year, guys. We want to say thank you to all the fathers. We honor you today, and I want to pray for you as we close. So let's bow together. And uh, Father, you are a good, good father. You have revealed yourself to us as a heavenly father who delights in his children. And delights to give good things and blessings to your children. And we're thankful for the gift of fathers who guide us, mentor us, teach us, provide for us, help us along the way, pick us up, dust us off, and care for us in so many ways. 
And Lord, today I am thankful for this group of men in our church who have answered a call to be daddy, to be father, to be dad, to be mentors and encouragers, to be godly leaders. And Lord, for this entire group, I just pray, Lord, that you would steal our spines, strengthen us with courage, with a righteous courage and compassion. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be like you. And I pray for these men that this year would be a year of blessing and of being a blessing, both to their children, to their wives, to their homes, to their families, to their grandchildren, whatever the case may be, in their work and in their neighborhoods. Lord, use them in powerful ways in a world, Lord, today that doesn't seem to value fatherhood very much. We value it, and we thank you for it. We want to live up to that high calling. So help us in that. Give us your grace to do that. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You're dismissed. We're taking up a love offering for this group. So if you would get out your cash. No, we're not doing that. Guys, appreciate y'all.